Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Maybe invading aliens won't show up with laser guns blazing, but instead making an offer we can't refuse. Almost as soon as alien life began showing up in fiction, the notion of an alien invasion came up too, which probably speaks volumes about humanity's mindset. Of course caution of the unknown is a wise idea, and evolution encourages that, since in general nature is not a friendly place. Interestingly, most early fiction assumed parallel evolution, aliens who looked and acted a lot like us, so it would make sense they might have designs on our planet as a place to live or conquer. But as we've noted on the channel before, even if there was some parallel or convergent evolution, it's not very likely they'd be biologically similar to us enough to breed with us or look just like us but evolution might drive them to have fairly similar mindsets about many things. It's hard to be a technological civilization if you aren't curious by nature, and hard to have a chance to have the stability and numbers for a civilization that can in turn develop technology if you aren't fairly aggressive and expansionist in some fashion. This doesn't necessarily mean you went around murdering or conquering your neighbors, Expansionism might take on the form of actively pursuing trade and peaceful unification, but it is hard to imagine an interstellar civilization arising without such motives. Treating humans as probably average, until we know otherwise, you'd expect as many to be more violent than us than the reverse. But invasion isn't necessarily violent, nor would a civilization that abhors violence necessarily hesitate to use it for specific reasons. But what would motivate an invasion? The default answer is resources, because that's what motivated many human-on-human invasions, but we can more or less rule that out as a motive for aliens to invade us, because basic physics and astronomy tells us there are easier places to get raw materials from than Earth. It is true that a resource-hungry civilization out to swarm every free system and ascend the Kardashev scale would consume the Earth along with everything else in the solar system, but a civilization doing that would leave very visible evidence that so far astronomers haven't spotted anywhere, and it would be nearly impossible to miss. We explore that topic in great detail in our Dyson Dilemma 2.0 episode. For our purposes today, we'll also rule out global extermination, as any interstellar species wanting to kill off rivals, and not caring if they wipe out the biospheres in the process, can not only far more easily do that without ever landing any forces on that planet, but would have no reason to wait for evidence of intelligence before doing so. It would be so much easier to send probes out regularly around the galaxy to do flybys of probable life-bearing worlds, and strike as soon as you found one, or even just stay at home and hunt for fertile worlds by telescope. As we've noted before, exterminating a galaxy is a fairly simple process if you've got a decent head start. So a plausible remaining motive for an invasion is if Earth's got something that isn't available elsewhere or is pretty rare. 
We also need to ask why they want it, and if there's any easier way to get it than an invasion, and what sort of invasion would work best. For instance, imagine you've got a culture that's really into art. Such a civilization might be very interested in what the Earth has to offer in that regard, but unless they specifically have a big taste for art made during crisis, like a war, attacking us to take ours or encourage us to make more would seem rather silly, particularly when they could just land and acquire it peacefully, or even just covertly sneak in to get copies, or even the originals, replacing them with fakes we probably wouldn't be able to tell were fakes. Let me put a caveat on that though, since we are mentioning copies. One obvious reason to smash a planet rather than land troops is to suffer no casualties of your own, but they quite probably would not care about that. Not only does interstellar travel imply access to a huge power source that makes devastating worlds rather easy, it generally also implies access to technologies that let you circumvent dying in battle like very good automation or access to artificial intelligence or mind uploading. So they can probably land a factory on any random asteroid in our solar system and prepare an overwhelming ground invasion force there on the spot, made up of intelligent war machines they view as expendable, or who can be backed up and copied if they do not view them as expendable. You're also not really going to care about the energy and resources used down on the ground, It's often tricky to really wrap one's mind around the sheer scale of an interstellar civilization, even just in the classic space opera sense of some empire with thousands of worlds under its banner, but when we contemplate it more realistically, you're talking about civilizations that would probably be able to defeat us with just a handful of people, and who probably outnumber us by millions or billions or even trillions to one they are going to have a whole range of options available for achieving their mission, many of which might be whole orders of magnitude harder than some others, but which are all so easy for them that they don't care. It's like a billionaire off traveling to see a place he's considering building a factory and deciding which diner or fast food joint he'll grab lunch at. Even if he is frugally minded, finding out that place X is 30% more expensive than Y for a hamburger is a total irrelevancy to him. It is a little humbling to think of some other civilization invading our planet and considering it so easy that it's a trivial expense, but realistically, if we tangled with even a Kardashev II civilization right now, one that's merely fully developed its own home solar system into a Dyson Swarm, not some sprawling galactic empire, they'd have so much manpower that they'd have niche jobs or obscure hobbies with more people performing it than we had total population. So not only does that mean a classic invasion is very much on the table, it also means they've got the kinds of resources on hand that could supply a planetary invasion force as easily as we could fund a small war memorial, something that could also easily be crowdsourced. I mentioned earlier the notion of an art-obsessed culture invading for art, especially if they liked art made under the influence of stressful conditions like a war. That might be a weird and rare trait for an entire civilization to have, but it need not be their entire civilization. They could back an invasion merely from the tiny portion of their population that was into that style of art or some other uncommon trait or cause, 
like a militant ecological group that went around wiping out intelligent species before they disrupted their ecology. That said, it raises the question of what the rest of that civilization is doing. They probably don't casually let small factions of their civilization roam the galaxy wreaking havoc, and other factions or bigger factions might have forced dibs on that planet. Of course it's very hard to enforce law over light years of distance, especially if you're limited to sub-light travel, which you probably are. If some colony ship left toward that planet's area under false pretenses, or changed its attitudes in transit, they can accomplish their objective long before you hear about it or can do anything. We talked about the difficulty of dealing with exactly that sort of problem in our Smug Aliens episode, for cultures following some parallel to the Star Trek Prime Directive of non-interference in primitive civilizations. Though it is also worth noting that the reverse is good motivation for an invasion, folks who specifically believe in interfering with primitive civilizations and conquer them for their own good, because they engage in some behavior the invaders view as morally repugnant. We see that in many sci-fi stories too, alien visitors who arrive to peacefully or forcefully make us stop killing each other or other Earth species or polluting our world. More to the point though, most Earth invasion fiction tends to ignore that if you've got one species near you, it means you ought to have a ton more, not much further away, who probably need to be factored into the equation. Math would indicate that if you've got a technological species arising within, say, 200 light years of Earth, then you ought to have at least a hundred more within 1000 light years, since that volume is five times wider and contains 125 times as many stars and planets. That's a lot of potential allies and enemies and feathers you probably don't want to ruffle. And even if your species arrives there first and could get them under your thumb or wipe them out, you'll know the next layer out will have even more such civilizations, many forewarned of your intent, who also have time lag on their side. You will eventually reach a point where even species who were just figuring out how to bang rocks together to make fire when you were launching your four spaceships now have spaceships themselves, whereas your primary research and development is so far behind your expansion front that your tech and software updates are tens of thousands of years old before they get to your vanguard. Go far enough in any direction and you'll run into an enemy as big and advanced as you, since you're invading through time, not just space. In this regard, all interstellar warfare is an uphill battle for the aggressor, because they are always running behind in time, and everyone will always see them coming. The further you travel from home, the more likely you are to run into someone just as old or older than you, and the longer someone younger than you had to match your head start, particularly as the newest round of victims have good motives to transmit everything they've got in terms of technology, tactics, and intelligence to your next potential victims, who can do the same. Back on Earth, everything is pretty two-dimensional, your potential enemies aren't rising with a cube of distance, and communication happens pretty rapidly, Yet it's still rather hard to play the Eternal Conqueror card for a host of reasons, many of which will still be in play in space. Very few conflicts, especially nowadays, are really one-on-one. You've got interested third parties, 
internal dissension, collaborators and allies who want to be on the winning side or who are happy to kick the feet out from whoever is winning even if they dislike the other team more. You can't just go invade your neighbors without any consideration of what your other neighbors or your own people will think of it, nor employ any means necessary to achieve the task. Everybody is watching you and you can expect the same to be true in space. They might not find out what you did for a century or two, but they'll know. Not even necessarily through telescopes either, it might be common practice to have neutral third parties hanging around trailing fleets or watching borders, flat out daring those they watch to try blinding their eyes and to suffer the consequences. This is another reason why we'd not expect invasion to take on the classic form. Once your official status with your neighbors is, we take what we want from anyone we can, screw your opinion, you are in a very bad spot diplomatically and militarily, because you've just given different civilizations who have little in common something big in common, a cold and logical reason to beat the snot out of you. Even those who approve of that sort of bully tactics are likely to jump on you too, since they approve of those sorts of bully tactics. Indeed given the implied mindset of the aggressor species, they'd probably be rather concerned about what their own rivals at home would do to them now that they have an excuse. None of this requires your own rivals or those other civilizations to care about Earth at all, but odds are a good many of them would, and adding some flyspeck of a planet to your empire of a million suns probably isn't worth it. You are always going to know, with mathematical certainty, that no matter what you do, you will eventually end up surrounded on every side by an equal or superior force, if you follow that path. Even faster than light travel probably won't help, though a time machine might. But again, there are many ways to invade, many of which might be less likely to provoke responses from third parties. Just as an example, If one of your border colonies or some rogue faction invaded Earth, you could step in with loud apologies and point out that it took you centuries to find out and act, and at this point you couldn't really punish the original aggressors or easily disentangle them from their conquest. So you sent in your own occupation force to sort things out and the new hybrid civilization there wants you to stay and wants to be in your empire. Obviously you can't play that card over and over again, since you may take as a given that all your neighbors have large brains and long records. Even if you're constantly changing tactics, the simple fact that you keep growing your borders is going to eventually get you accused of that. But if you are expanding by a hybrid route, basically inviting new civilizations to join your empire, that's a lot less likely to provoke a militant response from everyone else. It still could though, let's imagine one way of doing that. I show up to a new system and say hello and offer them technology and assistance in exchange for something worthless to them, or outright valuable to them to begin with. I might request ownership or extended lease on an asteroid and permission to reposition it near Earth to serve as a spaceport and embassy, and slowly entangle myself with their economy and culture by offering advisors and exports and to train their people too. That's not exactly nefarious, though you could easily go that route. Imagine you offer to upgrade their communication system and then offer communication devices, with which you brainwash them all, 
heck there's a good chance if you have that technology, you've already used it on your own population. But your various neighbors might too, to one degree or another, as brainwashing comes in a lot of flavors and degrees, as we discussed in our brainwashing episode. Interstellar travel takes a long time, so while sending in wave after wave of expendable killbots is faster than this sort of infiltration approach, you probably don't care that much. It took you centuries to get there, who cares if it takes a few decades to do the job on arrival. So we talked about how motives to take over Earth are fairly limited, as it needs to be something unique to Earth unless you're simply doing the constant land grab approach, which we already mentioned seems counterindicated by both the lack of anyone doing it right now and what your neighbors would do if they saw you doing it. So what motives have we got? What has Earth got? Unique species, to be sure. No matter how big the galaxy is, and no matter how common life is, each world is going to have a pretty unique ecosystem, and that's likely to be something a lot of civilizations will prize. For those that do, that is absolutely a motivation to get your hands on a planet, it's just that it's not really one for a classic invasion. If I were a xenobiologist arriving at Earth, I could just park in orbit, say hello, explain I wanted detailed DNA samples and zoological and botanical records, and that I'd trade information for information. If I wanted more information than was available, or actual samples, the blueprints for just about any single device on my ship is easily valuable enough to Earth to pay for an entire new economic sector just for acquiring what I came for. Heck, even if I outright told them I was banned by law from giving them any technology more than a decade in advance of what they had, that is still a great deal. Now I didn't have to do that, since odds are one of the blueprints on my ship is for some self-replicating killbot that if dumped out my airlock would be quite capable of taking over the whole planet, quite possibly without actually killing anything either, because those killbots probably also have pinpoint targeting ability. Again it's really hard to guess how advanced civilizations make war. We might guess they have stun weapons or ones capable of delivering precise force to not kill. But, they might easily cheerfully shoot everyone with very smart bullets full of nanorobots that just resurrected people shortly thereafter, viewing it as nothing worse than hitting a pause button or whacking them with a stun baton. And for that matter, for Earth specifically, at least of the current era, I could probably just ask for it even if I flat out said I couldn't give anything in return, or not ask and just slip down and acquire it covertly. As we mentioned in Secret Aliens, if I want a big sample of human DNA, I could just abduct a postbox full of hundreds of letters rather than abducting hundreds of people. This same reasoning applies to anything we currently have, almost all of our art and entertainment and history is digital these days, and they presumably would be pretty good at hacking computers, not that they really need to be since most of that is all over the web for public consumption. Where it isn't, or isn't recorded in high enough resolution for them, they could get their own scans. Those smart bullets I mentioned a moment ago, full of replicating nanobots, would presumably work just as well for scanning something like Mount Rushmore to take its pattern down to the micrometer for reconstruction elsewhere. Now while you could, if you value originals, probably sneak off with a statue of David or Van Gogh's Starry Night, leaving a replica behind, 
I think trying to haul off Mount Rushmore and hide it with a replica might tax the innovation of even an advanced civilization. I just have difficulty imagining they'd attempt to invade us or exterminate us as an alternative. Though that's hard to say, again alien psychology and all, they might think killing us all in our sleep and uploading us into some simulation of Earth was a benevolent act, in which case they would then have the original Mount Rushmore, but that objective doesn't square with that pathway, since it implies you view copies as rather valuable too. Needless to say, they aren't invading for manual labor, they could use robots for that. They might for creative labor, but I'm thinking whatever value they'd have for a unique perspective would be eroded by enforcing it at gunpoint. I doubt you get great poems or songs or paintings by sticking a gun to the artist's head. That might be good for a less violent and outright invasion, but since you're doing it for that unique perspective, you probably would consider the cultural impact of even a benevolent and friendly assimilation rather damaging to your end goal. This is one of the problems we have with alien invasions, same as alien visitors. It's not that they don't have some motivations for it, it's just that any time we put together a scenario, we can always think of a better path. So long as we keep in mind that the all-out approach, while possible, has to include that reminder that the universe is not just them and us, and that they know that at least as well as we do. We don't know if there are any aliens nearby, personally I doubt there are, but if they are invading us then they know aliens are near and presumably common, even if we are the first they've ever encountered. Whatever scenario we look at has to have a motive for it that makes sense. It has to not have any other clearly easier and better approaches, and it needs to take into account that if you have two civilizations in a region, you have many more not much further off, who will be interested in what goes on. So I'm a species that enjoys hunting a lot, particularly intelligent prey. Spending centuries traveling to a planet with intelligent life just to hunt there is quite a stretch when options like virtual reality or cloning and raising prey at home are on the table, and when you know it's likely to be viewed by your other neighbors badly. Similarly, conquering a primitive planet, directly or more through economic domination, just open up a new market for goods, would be peculiar when you can build or terraform new worlds for your own people when you can probably sell goods to other worlds without doing it at gunpoint and making hostile trading partners and also angering your other neighbors. You're unlikely to ever have to take by force things like information, be it history or genetic information, not when trade offers it cheaply, costing you nothing, but more unique or physical things might be more easily obtained by threat or use of force, and realistically that costs you little too. We won't repeat just how one-sided a fight between modern Earth and an interstellar civilization would be, but things like this are much more likely to provoke other civilizations, and leave at best an angry native population who later on will have the technology to cause you problems, as they'll eventually gain access to your technology, or someone else's who decides to engage in proxy warfare with you by arming your conquests unless you wipe them out or outright brainwash them, both of which are likely to provoke reactions. Interestingly, one of the most logical routes then, if you have to worry about a lot of third parties reacting to you, is probably to race around to primitive worlds introducing yourself, 
and acting as a genuine friend, knowing you will be judged by history, yours, theirs, and everyone else who spies on you, which is probably everybody else. This is least likely to backfire or provoke militant reactions. It's also likely to be a common practice in most interstellar civilizations since before they were interstellar. People often portray an alien galaxy as brutally Darwinian, but it is worth remembering that all these concepts vital to our own civilization, friendship, alliance, mercy, family, etc., are all manifestly products of evolution, and if not necessarily prerequisite for the sorts of large and stable civilizations that can develop powerful technologies, probably would be pretty common or have parallel analogs that war. This is a strategy one can use where you don't need to hide that your motives for visiting a new world aren't entirely altruistic, because none of us values our friendships less because we know most of them have aspects or origins that included pragmatic reasons. Go around visiting primitive new worlds, curing diseases and hunger and helping them spread out to the stars and protect themselves, and you've made very long-term allies and in a way that's not likely to get you attacked or expose you to retribution down the road like using subversive tactics or overt brainwashing might. So in this regard, an alien invasion is actually quite plausible, but as these things go, it's a lot better than them showing up over your major cities with death rays or brainwashing beams. We looked at a number of possible scenarios for alien invasion today, but barely scratched the surface. I'm sure everyone was thinking of many more as we went along, and of course our goal was more about discussing how we should examine such scenarios to see if they made much sense than any specific scenario. If you're interested in some more, there's a fun documentary called World War A, Aliens Invade Earth, over on CuriosityStream, which like we try to do here on SFIA, seeks to explore the topic in a serious and scientific way, but have some fun while doing so. CuriosityStream is a subscription streaming service that offers over 2400 documentaries and non-fiction titles from some of the world's best filmmakers, including exclusive originals, and some from our top thinkers, like Stephen Hawking and Michio Keku. You can get unlimited access starting at just $2.99 a month, and for our audience, the first 30 days are completely free if you sign up at curiositystream.com slash during the sign up process. So we looked at how our own single little world might be invaded, and how overwhelmingly one-sided the fight would be if it was us, nowadays, versus someone capable of interstellar travel, even if just because of the sheer energy available to anyone who can engage in such travel. Next week, we will ask ourselves what sort of things, natural and artificial, might be a threat to interplanetary or even interstellar civilizations, rather than lone worlds like ours. The week after that, we'll take a new look at one of the technologies that might provide the kind of power needed for space travel, and what the challenges and rewards are if we ever master fusion power. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to support the channel, visit our website to donate or look at some of the SFIA merchandise you can get. Until next time, thanks for watching and have a great week.